Galaxy City Church's audio podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message and his word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. We're going to get right into the word. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to the book of John, chapter number three. The gospel according to St. John, chapter number three. I'm going to read just one verse. It is the most disruptive verse in the entire Bible. There is no other verse in the entire Bible that is as disruptive as this verse I'm about to read. And when I read you this verse and you get a real clear understanding of the context that I'm going to give you, uh, it's going to completely change the way you see your life in Christ's life. Before I read that particular verse, uh, I want to give you a couple of definitions as it relates to the word disruption. Forcible separation or division into parts. The forcible separation or division into parts. Here's another definition. A radical change in an industry, a business strategy, especially involving the introduction of a new product or service that creates a new market. So here's my, synthesiza- here's my synthesization of uh, uh, what disruption means uh, for our context. The two primary things that disruption does, it breaks you up. You should write that down if you're taking notes. Disruption breaks you up. And the second thing it does is it radically changes you. Disruption is going to break you up and it radically changes you. Now, why would that be important? Why would God be interested in disrupting people? Because when we came into uh, uh, the world, we came into it in a sinful state. And everything that binds us to this earth, was be- we, we were binded to it in a sinful nature. And when the gospel comes into our life, it comes to disrupt that. It comes to break apart and separate your carnality, your flesh, your will, and your way so that you have something on the inside of you that is completely different than what's dominated you. And it's meant to radically change you. Once the gospel message comes into your life, you are never supposed to be the same person that you were before you heard the gospel message. So it comes to break you apart and it comes to radically change you. Now, let me read this verse. okay? in light of that context, let me read this verse. John 3, 16. We all know it well, but I just want to go back through it and, and give you. Uh, some things about it that I hope change your perspective on it. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 is the most disruptive verse in the entire Bible. It is absolutely unexplainable that God could love the entire world. 
that his interest would be so much in the entire world that he would send his word wrapped in flesh to bleed out on a cross to get you back. It's absolutely disruptive. It's disruptive to your life, but it's disruptive to the entire satanic plan that the enemy has to get people to live eternally disconnected from God the way he is. It's disruptive. And I want to show you through Jesus's life uh, how God disrupted his own son's life while he walked this earth and how it is akin to how he wants to do ours as well. Is that all right? So everybody have your notes out if you're doing them on your phone. Uh, if you have your notebook out, however you want to take the notes, I want you to write these down. But, but here is the first point uh, that I want you to write down. God's love is disruptive. God's love is absolutely disruptive. Now let's just talk for a moment relationally. Love even amongst two people, is absolutely disruptive. I remember uh, I've been married to Juliet, my wife, who's the finest woman breathing on the planet. I've been married to her now for 19 years. And uh, we've known each other for 20. And I remember when I told my wife that I was in love with her. It was on Father's Day, the year was 1998. I had gone to the grocery store and pulled out uh, uh, all the Hallmark cards and realized that Hallmark wasn't doing enough for me. They weren't giving me enough words. They were not expressing and giving me the feelings that I needed. So I picked the Hallmark card that had the fewest words but the biggest blank page on the other side, and I took that side to inform Hallmark this is how you write a love card to the person that you are in love with. I wrote all the words on that card. They were all from my heart. And I remember going to church that night and I gave Juliet that card. I put that card in her hand before service started. And I said, hey, just read this whenever you get a chance. And then I went on to worship the Lord. And after the service was over, we walked outside and I said, hey, did you read the card that I gave you? She said, yeah, I read it. I said, what did you think? And she handed it back to me and said, I want you to read it. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, girl, ain't nobody scared of you. I'm not scared of you. I said, I'll read this card. I'll read it right in front of your face. I opened the card and I started reading. I got halfway through and I said, I actually don't need this card to finish reading you this card. Because what I wrote to you is just not on this page. It's written on my heart. Take notes, take notes, take notes, take notes. Relationship series 2.0, take notes. Just trying to help somebody out. I don't know who it is, just trying to help you out. And I put the card behind my back and I, and I, and I, and I finished the rest of the words on that card from memory. And it ended with me saying, Juliet. Lawrence, I, Timothy Charles Ross, am in love with you. There was a moment of silence as this girl drank these words into her mind, heart, and soul. And then something absolutely unexpected happened. The girl bust out laughing. 
in my face. I, I, I'm literally looking at her like, are you serious? You laughing right now? And it wasn't like a nervous, <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm overwhelmed. She started cracking up like, <laughs> like she had heard the funniest joke of her life. And she was like, I don't know how you're in love with me. She was like, I'm not in love with you. She was like, I, you, you know, like, like, I love you like, and this is true. I'm not making this up. There's no exaggeration at all. She said, I love you like, like, like if you died, like I cry at your funeral, like I care for you, but like in love with you, I've never been in love to which I responded. Uh, I just need you to know something very quickly. I did not tell you that I was in love with you for you to tell me that you were in love with me. I needed to tell you that I am in love with you just so you understand where I feel my love has been assigned. That jacked her up. Because most times when somebody says they're in love with you, it has to be reciprocated. And if you don't reciprocate it, then I don't love you that much anymore. Or I thought you were going to reciprocate it back. See, love is disruptive, even on a relational level. Somebody walks up to you, I love you. Oh, I don't even know you. Don't say that unless you mean it. It's disruptive. God's love is the same way. And he says it to us way before we're ready to respond in a way that we can prove we love him back. Let me show you scripture. Matthew chapter uh, 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 number three, verses 16 and 17. This is, this is some disruptive love of God. It happens with Jesus. It also happens with us. After his baptism, this is after his cousin John uh, uh, baptizes him. As Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Here's the sentence I want you to write down for this. He affirms you and tells you how he feels about you. God's love is disruptive. He affirms you and he tells you how he feels about you. Let me tell you what's amazing about Jesus' baptism and about him coming out of this water and having this extravagant affirmation from his dad, this, this profession of love that is spoken out loud, not internalized and, and done passive aggressively in a way that I hope that you feel. He says it out loud to him and he says it in a way that everyone else can hear. And I want you to think about this. I'm a very literal person. Quite literally, Jesus was wet behind the ears in ministry. Bars. Just let that settle real quick. He came up out of the water. Never mind. I, I was going to wait for that one. I just, I just felt like we should all be in unity. He hadn't done anything in ministry yet. He had not turned water into wine. He had not opened up blind eyes. 
He had not uh, 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 raised the dead. He had not made the blind to see. He had not made the lame walk. And before he does anything, his father looks down and gives him his love and gives him his affirmation. And this is what he's saying. Before you do anything, I want you to know I love you and I affirm you. Before you do anything, I want you to know that you already have my seal of approval. You do not have to perform for my love. You have my love, and it's disruptive. If you've been abused growing up, this is hard for you to receive. If you didn't have loving relationships growing up, this is incredibly hard for you to receive because, because, because when somebody just loves you unconditionally and you haven't been used to containing that, you feel like you owe something back or that you have to do something in response and they're going, no, I just love you. Jesus received that. And we have to receive the fact that God's love is disruptive. He, he's not basing it on what you do for him because what can you do for him? I can take you back to Genesis chapter number 12 when, when God goes into a relationship with Abraham and goes into a covenant with Abraham that we're still walking in today. He does not even look for Abraham to respond or reciprocate that covenant for 25 years. He said, I'm going to extravagantly bless you for 25 years in a row before I even ask you if you want to reciprocate this covenant that I've gone, in, gone on with you with for 24 years. God's love is disruptive. Point two, write this down. God's giving is disruptive. God's giving is disruptive. Now, I don't have to uh, belabor this particular point uh, uh, because when it comes to giving, we understand how disruptive giving can be, okay? If I wrote a check, and this is a hypothetical, so please don't feel like something is true. This is just, I'm, I'm just trying to do this so you can understand, not because it's going to happen, right? If I wrote you a check for a million dollars right now, cash, would it be disruptive? Would it quicken your spirit? Would it settle some things in your life, right? A check, not even a check. I just got your routing number and your checking account and wired it into your account. Would that be disruptive enough for you to be like, he's a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are, are. Right? Here's the thing. Giving is disruptive. And you can do it with a million dollars or you can do it with a dollar. You can go to McDonald's right now and buy somebody a 99 cent cheeseburger. They would be as disrupted as if you gave them a million dollars. The reaction would be the same. What did you do that for? What? I was going to pay for that. I just felt like blessing you. What? <laughs> Giving is disruptive. I want you to see uh, some things that, that God gave to Jesus. This is Luke chapter number four, uh, verses 16 and, uh, through 21. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. 
The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Here's the sentence I want you to write down for this, okay? He empowers you and equips you to do his work. He empowers you and he equips you to do his work. Here's the thing that's amazing to me about God's giving. It's absolutely extravagant. That he has not left you in any season of your life after you come into a relationship with him that you don't have everything you need. He says, I'm just going to give it to you. Christ says something in this moment that, that seems boastful. He comes into the synagogue. He opens up the scroll. They were already going to read Isaiah 61 that day. And he reads off these five things and he says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. The scripture has been fulfilled. He's saying, I'm going to do this. My dad has given me some authority and he's given me an anointing. Everybody say anointing. anointing. Say it again louder. Say anointing. anointing. One more time. Real loud in the house. Say anointing. anointing. All right. So let me tell you something about the anointing. All right. The anointing is not. Woo! Oh, Jesus. I felt that. Goosebumps. I felt that. Oh, oh, the, 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 the AC shifted and I felt a cool breeze. None of that is the anointing. Let me tell you what the anointing is. You need to write down this definition so you can have this for the rest of your life. God's anointing is simply his approval. That's what God's anointing is. It's his approval on the gifts he gave you and the talent he gave you. That's what God's anointing is. God's anointing is his approval on the giftings and talents that he gave to you. I know a lot of people that are gifted. I know a lot of people that are talented. But they're not anointed. Because God doesn't approve of the way they're using those giftings or those talents if they're using it in a way that only brings attention to them and doesn't reflect it to give glory to him. God's anointing is his approval. And when you have it, it's, a, it's an incredible thing that he wants to give every single one of his sons and daughters so you can go out and do the great things, according to Ephesians 2.10, that he planned for you long ago. That's what he wants to see happen. And this is why he gives you his grace. This is why he gives you his approval. This is why he gives you gifts. This is why he gives you talents, because he's loading you up for everything that you want to do. And it works in all personalities. Any extroverts in here? Okay. you like, I need people. If you don't see people, you're like, why is it? there's no people? How come there's no people? I'm all alone. I need people. Right? That, that God made you that way. And he'll load up his gifts and, in talent, and his talents into your 
extroverted personality. And you'll go out and give it to other people. Any introverts in here? That's me, right? You recharge alone. You're like, when are other people leaving? Right? He gives you gifts and talents too. The same way and at the same rate that he gives extroverts. Why? Because he needs, he needs you to go give it away. He wants every personality to have it. The nerdy one, the techie one, the loud one, the quiet one. Librarians need an anointing to just be quiet, right? Introverts need an anointing. Extroverts need an anointing. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that I'm giving this grace to everybody and I'm, and I'm making sure they have what they need so they can go be a blessing to those around them. If you take what Jesus says in Luke chapter number four and look at what he does in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, everything can be traced back to those five things that he said he was anointed to do. Thank you, Holy Spirit. That's real good. Let me say this. Please keep in mind, it is super important that you stay in the lane God assigned you to. That's where your approval is, your anointing. That's where your grace is. That's where your strength is, and that's where your peace is. Jesus said, he's anointed me to do five things, and he only did those five things. You didn't see him try to do six. He never got out of his lane. Why did he tell, man, I, I hear this. Why did he tell the disciples, greater work shall you do? Because I'm only doing these five things. Y'all will do some other stuff, but I'm not doing that. I'm not even called to do that. My assignment is to the lost sheep of Israel, and I'm going to stay in my lane. Now, if some people jump in my lane, I can bless them. Seraphonician woman, I can bless you. You jumped in my lane. Roman centurion, I can bless you. You jumped in my lane. But I'm not jumping outside of my lane to do anything for you. You'll have to get in my lane. Okay, okay. All right, last one. Last one. Point number three. Y'all getting this? Okay, okay, okay. Point one. Uh, 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 not point one. Point three. I'm just too happy. Okay. Point three. Uh, God's ways are disruptive. When, when, when I was getting this message together, I, I was really asking the Lord, why you want this to be the last one? How come this can be the first one and I can do the happy ones later? Why you want me to end with this one? God's ways are disruptive. You got you to gotta settle in for this one, okay? Mark chapter number 14, verses 35 and 36. He went on a little further and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done. <clears throat> Not mine. Write this sentence down. He asked for your life so that he may give you your life. He asked for your life so that he may give you your life.
I'm a video gamer. Some pastors golf, read a lot of books. I shoot people in the face. That's what I do. That's, yeah. In my downtime, I pick the most violent game I can find. And after dealing with people all week and all weekend, the most therapeutic way that I can have a release as an introvert is to go into a room by myself, put on my headphones, put on Ghost Recon Wildlands, travel to a fictional part of Bolivia, get dropped down with three other players who are on my team against four other players, real life players, not computer players, because they need to be real, um, on the other team, and then I shoot them in the face. So good for me. I mean, I, I feel relaxed now just even talking about it. I just, I just feel a peace of God coming over me. I'm not going to prison for it. There are, there are no capital murder charges awaiting me at the end of it. I can go into a room, shoot real people in the face, have them dejected on the other side of their TV and controller, and walk away like, God is good. Lord, you are just a good God, even on a bad day, right? Here's the thing that's amazing to me, is that he comes into our lives and he says, I need to trade something with you. When I play video games, I, 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 I get uh, notifications from GameStop, free endorsement. Uh, <laughs> I get notifications from GameStop saying, hey, you purchased these games in the last 12 months, and if you would put all those games together, uh, it would be worth this much store credit, and you could apply it to a new game. They're trying to get me to trade. They're saying, hey, I know that you uh, played this game, but that's probably gotten old by now, and we have something new out, and if you trade that in, it will go as credit to something new. Here's what, here's what God says. Hey, your life isn't worth much in the state that you were born into. You were born into a world devalued. If, if, if your life had a stock, it plunged on the moment you came into the world because of the sinful state that you were born into. And I have a solution for it, but it's gonna cost you something. I know my way is disruptive. I know it doesn't sound appealing. I know you would rather have a way that's more convenient, something that you would rather have happen your way as opposed to my way, but I just need to tell you, it's better than, than your way. If you would trade in your life, I would give you your life. This doesn't even sound like a thing. I'm, I already have my life. I'm gonna give you my life and you're gonna give me my life because your life really isn't your life. Jesus, there's 4,000 years of prophecy before Jesus is even born. First messianic prophecy given with promises, the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent and he shall bruise his heel. 4,000 years later, Jesus is born. 30 years later, he starts his early ministry, er, earthly ministry. Three and a half years later, he's praying this prayer. Why would Jesus pray this prayer if he knew that's what he came to do? He's been telling his disciples this the whole time, the Son of Man must be offered up 
Unless a, a seed fall into the ground and die, it cannot bring forth much fruit, right? He says all of that. And then he goes and prays, is there any other way? Why would a man who knows that he has to do this struggle with this? Because he's in this. I don't care if you are God in flesh. We have a way in here that doesn't exist outside of here. That's why when we get out of here, there's be no more tears, no more temptation, no more anything. But while we're in here, there's always this wrestling. And here's the wrestle. My way versus yours. My will versus yours. My plans versus yours. And here's what God says. I know that my plans and my will and my way is disruptive, but it's the best thing for you. And I'll trade your life for my life. And if you live that life, you'll be living your best life. Embassy City, God's called us to live a life that has been disrupted. And that's what we get here every single weekend. We hope that when you get greeted in the parking lot, you are completely disrupted from the hellish week that you had. The reason, why, the reason why we hug you and we call it hug time is because a handshake won't squeeze out of you what a hug will. We mean to disrupt you with every hug you receive when you walk in the door. During worship, we hope you are completely disrupted by any negative thoughts, by depression, by suicide, by anything that the enemy would try to bring into your life, we hope it's completely disrupted. And through the word, it's not my oratorical ability. It is not me trying to come up with the right phrases and, and hope I communicate it the right way. It's my hope that the truth of his word is more powerful than any of my wit. That as you hear his word, it disrupt every piece of carnality, every piece of sin, lust, low self-esteem, I just pray his word rips it to shreds so that you can live a life like Jesus did. Jesus had God's love. I mean, he had it. He had God's affirmation. He was with it. He had God's giftings. And he submitted to God's way. And if we would do that as a church, there's nothing the enemy could throw at us that would ever stop us. Disruption. This is us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Embassy Irving.